Father God, amen. We thank you, God, for being our help, for being our helper, God, constantly with us. God, Jesus, you, you didn't leave us alone when you told your disciples, I go to prepare a place for you, and I leave for your benefit that I might give you a helper who will be with you, who will lead you, will convict the world in sin, righteousness, and judgment, and will speak your name, will speak your word, your word, God, will be on our hearts when we need it. We are not alone. We are not alone. We are with you, God, and you are with us. Thank you, God, so much for your word. As it speaks to our hearts now, I pray that we are encouraged and that we apply these things that we're not merely hearers only, but doers, and that this world we can see behind us is left changed as we walk. God, thank you so much for this time. It's a blessing. Thank you so much for allowing us to sing to your name. We look forward to seeing you soon. We love you and pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, aren't you glad to be here this morning? Yeah, this is great. We're actually going to start off just a little differently this morning. Um, I, I want to have a, a moment of recognition. So if AJ and Amanda are here, let's welcome them up onto the stage. So it was uh, actually in January, uh, 10 years ago, that you came on full time, right? AJ? Yeah, so it's 10 years we're celebrating with AJ, and, uh, and, and in this fall, I'm celebrating 10 years uh, uh, flying solo, okay, here at the church. Here's one of the gifts in ministry. Um, you, you don't, there's no ministry that survives with one person. Do you know that? Ministry is always a result of teamwork that is yielded together to Christ, and one of the great gifts in ministry to this church, uh, and to me personally, has been AJ. Um, and, uh, yeah, you can thank, what you look for throughout the years, uh, and throughout scripture are people who are the picture of strong leadership. Uh, in fact, isn't it interesting that one of the first leaders in Israel, when the temple is put in place, David assigns a man to lead in worship every single week. And his name was He-Man. All right. Look it up. He-Man, singer of songs. AJ's just following in that tradition. Uh, AJ and Amanda have been uh, the picture of servanthood, and we're so thankful for you. As a congregation, I am thankful personally uh, for your story and the fact that your story has been here since you were a little younger. And uh, the, the, the picture of being not just in ministry together, but being family uh, is lived out by you guys. So we have a little gift for you. Um, and we are so thankful for you as a couple. Can I pray for you? All right. Father God, we are blessed. We're blessed for the picture of longevity at this church, that there are so many servants who have dedicated themselves to you and to these people, and AJ and Amanda are a picture of that. I do pray that they would sense um, our pleasure, our thankfulness that you brought them here, that they have served so well, and I pray that uh, you would help us to encourage them through all the ups and downs of ministry, uh, that they would be faithful for a lifetime is our plea. Help them. We pray, Father, to glorify your name all their days. And we thank you for how they've done that so well to this point. We give thanks in Christ's name. Amen. Let's give thanks for AJ and Amanda. All right, guys. All right, man. I'm thankful for you. Yeah.
You might have noticed I almost ducked completely under his armpit right there. <laughs> it's not just that I'm shrinking, he's really tall. We're going to be in uh, Luke chapter 21. We're wrapping up our series on The End is Near. As you're turning there, I, I'm just, uh, I, I want to highlight a, a few seconds longer this idea of longevity. Um, I'm reminded this morning that uh, I am the fourth pastor since 1950 at this church. Four. That's it. Uh, the pastor preceding me, you guys all remember, Pastor Ron Schaefer, uh, 27 years in ministry serving at this location. In fact, before, um, uh, 10 years ago when, when uh, I became the, the senior pastor, um, Pastor Ron and Lorna were the first family of Salem Heights. You remember that? And in this auditorium this morning is Lorna Schaefer. Royalty, she's right here. <laughs> Lorna, it is always good to see you. We're so thankful. And I think that every good thing that we see here was begun back in those days uh, with your husband. We're still thankful all these years later. We're thankful for the commitment to the word and the commitment to faithfully following Jesus no matter what the world says. And so thanks for that picture. Yeah. All right, are you guys there? Luke chapter 21, the end is near. That's just the title we picked to cheer you up. Okay? We're, we've been in this series because Jesus decided to speak on this right before he goes to the cross. This is a matter of great importance. And the reason that we're looking at this uh, in this, this last uh, few weeks, these four weeks, compartmentally is we want to remind you what to do not just in this passage, but when you come to prophetic literature, there are some things that you uh, need to be about. So this series isn't just about what did Jesus say here, but it's a reminder to us how we should look at Scripture when it comes to those statements that are prophetic. This week we have another uh, picture from Drew Knox. It's a picture of uh, this fig tree that's starting to bud. And it's a reminder this morning, what we're taking a look at is a statement from Christ that says, when a certain set of things happen, take note, when the, it's like leaves starting to come out, you know that summer is near. And in his picture, summer is the kingdom of God, which by the way, there is going to be a literal thousand year reign of Christ on this earth. Amen. Amen. If you're not sure of that, just read the book. Okay. It's in there. Christ is coming again. And he says there are certain indicators that should cause your heart to flutter, and there are specific indicators that he is right at the door. We've been taking a look at the, these this last few weeks. I want you to uh, turn in Luke chapter 21 to uh, verse 29. Let's stand and read this passage together. At the end of his discussion with his men, he said this, and then he told them a parable. Behold, the fig tree and all the trees, as soon as they put forth leaves, you see it and you know for yourselves that summer is now near. So also, when you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. 
Be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighed down, get this list, with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life, that that day will come on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of all the earth, but keep on the alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Now during the day, he was teaching in the temple, but at evening he would go out and spend the night on the mount that's called Olivet. And all of the people would get up early in the morning to come to him in the temple and to listen to him. That's a worthy thing to do. Amen? You may be seated. Father, as we pay attention to your word, we pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts. We pray that you would help us now to not just hear these words or hear some ideas about them, but that we might hear your voice as we read these scriptures, that we might hear you reminding us that in every single age, you are calling us to be vigilant, to be focused on you and not ourselves. Pray that you'd help us this morning to pay attention to that in Christ's name. Amen. Very quickly, we had some things that uh, we were to be reminded of whenever we look at prophetic literature. There was three things we've carried with us all the way through this series. First, when you take a look at prophecy, literal is best. If the plain sense makes sense, don't accept any other sense, right? Take a look, read it. If he uses a metaphor in context in there, we found that you should follow that metaphor, but it'll be plain in Scripture that he's doing so. Secondly, prophecy has a near and far perspective. Christ is going to be speaking to things that are happening right then at that moment, or his men will be speaking about things that are happening in that moment. You should see a, a small picture of what is going to happen finally, perfectly, in the future. God always fulfills his word perfectly. Do you believe that? If he says it and says it's going to happen a certain way, it's not done until it has happened that way. And finally, Jesus taught us how to do this. If you just take time to read the chapter prior, we see Christ in three different times looking at a theme and saying, notice this theme in Scripture, then looking at a verb and saying, notice how this verb is treated in Scripture, and then he looks at a noun and he says, notice how this word comes up in Scripture. He taught us how to study Scripture, and then he goes into this tough passage. He was reminding us that every single word matters. God says what he means, means what he says, and wants us to follow through. He taught us how to do that. And so now we enter into this passage. This passage is at the very end of the last three. It's the very end of Jesus' observations. And we have seen in the last three weeks that he makes an observation to the apostolic age, the persecution they were going to go through, he makes an application and an observation about the time of the Gentiles and growing disturbances that are going to be happening. And then he makes an observation about what is going to be happening at the end. Do we need to pause for a moment here? Guys, are we good? Scott? Okay, we're all right. Let's just take a moment. We have uh, something go on here, and we'll make sure that these men can get access. Let me uh, take a moment and just pray for them. Is that all right? Yeah. Lord God, we, uh, we just come before you in the middle of this series and in the middle of our worship, and we are reminded that uh, we need your hand at every moment. And so uh, we ask, even as uh, 
Uh, there's a trial going on right now. Uh, Father, that you would guide these men that are here to help uh, and help this one who's hurting, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. In this uh, series, the question that we have to ask is, what is the fruit? What is the fruit of this discussion? He's been talking about all of these themes, but we have to gather into our minds the point. And Christ will always make the main point. Um, we had four boxes here. Um, remember, at the very beginning, we saw the observations that Christ had made. And uh, in there, we had... Uh, some uh, gluten-free food, remember, because that's a sign that famines will come. It's not real food. We had the, uh, that's not just an observation. You know, when prophets were hungry, the angels would bake them bread. It was actually carbo-loading for their next series. That's in Scripture. Accept it. There were meteorites, all kinds of cosmic disturbances that are about to happen. And we talked about, uh, we couldn't put a volcano in here, but this was acne cream because of all the eruptions that would happen on the face of the earth. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that during this uh, time that we've been ta talking about this, earthquakes and volcanic eruptions and all kinds of disturbances have caused the nations to be nervous. They're writing articles about it. Is this a sign of the end? We also talked about the fact that in Jerusalem, there's two different seasons that are picked up. One in Luke is the near season that would happen in AD 70, and then in the far is the final destruction that happens in Jerusalem. But we are not done in Jerusalem until we have the baby, right? If there's birth pangs, you're not done until there is a baby, and the baby is the kingdom of God. Jesus will physically be here. The final thing that we have is the last three weeks the shaking of nations. We actually had people with uh, great disturbances, and there's going to be great concern. So in all of the world, there are all of these concerns that are going on, even at this time. And those concerns are overwhelming. We would see signs in the heavens and signs on the earth and concern in the nations as a picture, a preparation that people are going to start looking up, looking at the kingdom. But I wonder if you notice, as we're going through these four boxes, what's in the final one? Can you see it? Yeah? There's one illustration that is poking up above all of the rest. There's a reason for this. The intent all the way through was not just for you to get some information. In fact, the intent the entire time as Christ is discussing these things was to prepare them for a certain set of truths. So the point wasn't for them to be afraid of what's happening in the apostolic age. And the point wasn't for them to be overly concerned about what's happening in Jerusalem. Those were signs. And the point wasn't for them to be freaking out about what is happening in the nations at any given time. All of these things were to show that Christ was not only in control, but he was aware of what is happening. The final thing was always the main point. This point we're getting to this morning was always his intention. He is pointing at the fig tree saying, because all of these weeks we've been talking about, because all these things are true, there is something that we are to pay attention to. He intended to prepare them. There have been a few that have asked, well, why aren't we doing more study or more weeks? Why aren't we talking about the rapture, which will happen? Why aren't we going to talk about the generation that will happen during that seven years? Why don't we talk about what's happening during the millennium? 
And I would say this, there's, there's three different reasons that I had actually put down there. First of all, we have a time constraint. We have a summer series starting next week. <laughs> Secondly, when, uh, when, when we jam all of those theological themes into this series, we end up with a generation, in fact, my generation quite often when they would read prophetic passages would come away confused because they remember they somehow were supposed to get all of these things out of this passage. But when they went back and read their Bibles, they couldn't remember what the trail was. One of the things we want to do as we're going through Luke is to say, let's just read what Jesus said, and there's enough there for us to digest that will be beautiful if we'll just take him at his word. But I want you to be able to go back to that passage and see what's written there and walk away and say, I can, I can understand that. He does unpack those themes in other passages, and we will make sure we pay careful attention at that time, but we don't have the time in this one. And finally, Jesus didn't go through all those themes here. If the God of the universe said, this is enough for my men right now, and they're about ready to start the church age, we shouldn't go beyond him. Amen? So I want to ask, what is the fruit? F-R-U-I-T. We see in this passage the fig tree. We see Jesus say, you need to come to a recognition. We see him say that there is an unchanging truth. We see him say that there is individual responsibility. And finally, he tells us how we are to be in training for that season. Are you ready for this? Yeah. We're going to go quickly. At least I hope. All right? But it's going to be useful. Let's start with the fig tree. The first thing he says is, notice the fig tree. Some fruit precedes the leaves. There's a lot of things that we could unpack about a fig tree. Some theologians have noted that in the Old Testament that, that Israel was called a fig tree. Um, but in this passage, Jesus says, note the fig tree and all of the other fruit trees. He's trying to collectively get you to think about a certain aspect of fruit trees. But he uses a fig tree because it was so common in Israel. But also, there's something that is unique about a fig tree, and that is it is one of the only fruit, in fact, it's the only one that I am aware of, that fruit can actually precede the leaves, there will be fruit that is on a fig tree that comes from the year uh, before. As all the leaves have come off, there is a residual bud that is there, and that is the first thing that receives sap. Fruit will come. That's why in another place we see Jesus coming, and when there was no fruit on a tree, he said it's barren, even though it was not yet time for the leaves to pop out on it, because a fig tree would always have fruit that was prepared beforehand. In our own study, we have seen that Israel right now is once again the center of attention in the world. This is unique. Name any other ancient city or location that still is the center of attention. In fact, it was just this last week that Russia, along with the United Nations, got together and said, Israel cannot do what it wants to do in, in Jerusalem. They said there will be no peace in Israel till somebody comes in and creates two states where both of them have Jerusalem as their capital. It is setting the stage for an end times leader. Somebody to come in and make that pitch and say, let's try this for seven years. It's right now in the center of our attention. 
Solar flares, the signs in the sun, moon, and stars, 1989, uh, March 13th of 1989, a solar flare eruption had happened. It actually took out uh, most of uh, Toronto, Canada, and all of that area. Millions of people left without power, electricity that had flooded into the grounds. If uh, the United States hadn't been prepared in one way or another, it would have shut down our power grid as well. It caused chaos for months. Darkness for 12 hours over that whole area that impacted schools and hospitals. People were stuck uh, in the basement levels of buildings that had uh, uh, elevators that would not work. They were stuck uh, in places that had electronic doors that created all kinds of havoc in Canada. Something that you can research. That's just with one solar flare. When eruptions in the heavens... And now that we're paying more attention to them, asteroids and all of those other things that could be impacting the earth, when those begin to flood in, it's a sign of the end. But secondly, with a fig tree, it's not just that fruit will appear before the leaves, but the leaves on a fig tree are the last to appear before summer. All of the other fruit trees will put out leaves before a fig tree. So it waits right until the very end. Jesus says, I want you to pay attention to the fig tree. If you start seeing certain signs, these leaves coming out, the end is near. Is that heavy? That's pretty intense. He says as a result, we need to have recognition. Recognition. The generation that sees these signs, in particular, the sun, moon, and stars, and the chaos in the nations. When the sun changes... The moon and stars start to work against life on earth. When the nations are shaking, we talked about that a little bit last week. That's the sign. That generation will see Jesus return. It focuses on the final set of signs. The generation that sees those signs will see the kingdom. I want you to notice this statement. It says here, So you also, when you see these things happen, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. There are some who say that he was speaking directly to the apostles there, so it had to be that generation. I want you to understand that the book of Luke and Acts, and in fact, the other apostolic teachers all taught this without apology until that generation died. In fact, the early church never makes an apology and says, "Uh uh-oh, we might have mistakenly put down this generation, and it was referring to the apostles. They never try to explain it away. That means their understanding of this passage was not that he was talking to the disciples. He was actually saying the generation, this generation that sees these signs will not pass away. The kingdom will come very rapidly on the heels of a change in the sun, moon, and stars. Why? You can't live very long if the sun is messed up. Do you know that? I mean, we live months and months and months without the sun in Oregon, okay? But we pay for it. Just look around. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's not like we're in Southern California. There's a sign in the sun, moon, and stars you can't live very long. Very rapidly, that will happen. Some have said that the generation he's speaking of is the generation that ends in A.D. 70, but it's a similar problem. Um, That only takes part of these signs literally, and then it allegorizes the kingdom. It's an unacceptable view according to Scripture. Christ never changes their expectation that he would bodily return. The best understanding, the one that I believe even the early church had, 
was that the generation that sees those signs would very quickly see the kingdom, and he taught them to look up. There's a fig tree. There's recognition. But there's an unchanging truth. Waiting can make our minds and our theology wander. Even though his return is imminent, waiting for a while can make us wonder if it's going to happen. Have you ever waited for somebody and wondered if they were going to appear? Yeah? Have you ever had that moment where they said, I want to meet you right here and I'll meet you there in a couple of hours and you're standing there and standing there and standing there and you are wondering if they actually were talking about a different location? In the age of cell phones, we just start dialing up, right? But this used to matter. Just a short while ago, it used to matter how we would get that information to another person. You would have to stick with what you thought was the plan. And the only reason that you wouldn't is if you doubted the character or the information that you had been given, the character of the individual or that information. Christ says, my word will never change. I would love for you on your own to do a a word study, to do a Bible study just on that phrase, that my words will never pass away. You're going to find an interesting thing. This comes up over and over and over again when the living God says, I'm about to return in judgment. Don't doubt it. Every single time. I'll just give you one instance. It comes up in uh, Psalm 119, Psalm 40, but it comes up in in Isaiah 55. Verse 6, it says this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. That's today. Call upon him while he is near. That's right now. You have the opportunity today to give your life to Christ. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his wicked thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon My thoughts are not your thoughts. Your ways are not my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Verse 11, so will my word, which goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. You will go out with joy, be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth in shouts of joy before you. Christ says that, or God says in this passage, my word will never change. It won't return void. And it always comes in a moment of judgment. Unchanging truth. One of the things that I see uh, happening in our culture is the longer that it seems that we wait, and actually right now in, in Christianity, one of the things that is happening is that as people are sitting around Instead of looking for the Lord and his return and investigating what his word says about him, we start investigating what he says to the people around us. Have you noticed that? And the result is we're back to the pharisaical practice of nitpicking each other, and now there's an uproar even within Christianity where we begin to take a look at the word and we judge each other and we're attacking another man's servant and we're sliding the dagger in sideways rather than paying attention to the one that we should focus on. As we begin to look at each other and study the scripture to impact our neighbor, right? To hammer our neighbor rather than to focus on the Lord. One of the things that begins to happen is we begin to explain away their attack of us. And as we do that, we change the way that we look at scripture. And the next thing you know, the entire church is in chaos, fighting over whether or not they're justified to follow the Lord the way that they do. 
You want to know what would fix all of it? If we had a healthy dose of reality that the Lord is returning at any moment, right? And you're going to have to stand in front of him someday with how you've been talking and walking and acting and living out your faith. You're going to have to stand in front of him. And if you do not handle this moment rightly, you don't have to pay attention to me. I'm not the one standing up there. Do you want to know who is? The living God. Jesus Christ is going to be watching our lives. And he says, my truth didn't change. What are you doing with your moment? He's asking us to pay attention to his words. They have never changed. we got to stay focused on what is best. The fig tree, recognition, unchanging truth, but now individual responsibility. You are responsible for your sobriety. Do you understand that? I'm not responsible for your sobriety. Let's just do a healthy amen right there, okay? I can't help you. Stay sane, all right? And that's a lost cause for most of us. I want you to notice what it says in here. Yes, just let that soak. That's going to be our new uh, small group series. It says, truly, truly, I say, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Because of that, be on guard so that your hearts will not be weighed down. You want to know what that means in the Greek? Weighed down. Simple thought. Have you ever felt heavy as a result of your own decisions? Have you ever made decisions and you were embarrassed to go outside as a result, to talk to people, to engage your neighbor? He says that you're going to have a certain set of things that will cause your heart to be weighed down so you won't be looking up anymore. You'll be worried about what's about to happen next. There's three different categories he gives us here. First is dissipation. Uh, dissipation is that idea that you live in such a way that you're not your strongest you. If you, if you take a, a drop of ink and you put it into water, it dissipates. That means it becomes less distinct primary example is when alcohol is entered into the bloodstream in an individual, quite often they become less focused on who they're supposed to be and more focused on what the world around them wants. All right? That's just the plain truth. Dissipation is living your entire life where you are less distinct, you are less focused, you are not where you are supposed to be. We have a picture here of a guy who has lived his entire life that way. It's uh, Jack Sparrow. You know what's intriguing? When Jack Sparrow and the entire movie industry kind of put him on the scene, here we have a guy that personified a generation. All of a sudden, men were dressing up like him. Kids are dressing up like Jack Sparrow. Everybody's talking and walking like Jack Sparrow. It's a guy whose entire life, even if he was able to make a, uh, you know, a, an argument, one sentence on top of another, he still lived a rum-soaked existence. And he was a picture of how a, a person could live their entire life in happy oblivion, unaware of how his decisions have consequences on everyone around him. Why was Jack Sparrow so popular? I think that our culture, our generation, I think that individuals consistently say, I wish I could just live in that kind of state. It's a state that Scripture says is destructive. It'll destroy you. It'll ruin not only your distinctiveness, it leaves you without a legacy. It's not just uh, that it says dissipation, becoming less of who you are. It says actual drunkenness. I'm just going to take a moment really quick to unpack a statistic. 
Globally, alcohol misuse was the fifth leading risk factor for premature death and disability in 2010. Do you know that? Fifth leading. Between the ages of 15 and 49, it is the leading cause of premature death in the world. Okay? I just want to let this soak. You draw your own conclusions. 70% of adults this last year drank to the point that it altered their thinking at least once. Okay? This isn't a morning focused on drunkenness, but Jesus brings it up as one of the leading factors that will pull you away from focusing on his soon return. All right? We, as a culture, have ignored the dangers. Can we just say amen to that? We have focused so much on the gray areas and our rights and can I do this and, and still go to heaven. I'm going to tell you right now, it's not letting you off the hook. It's the truth. You can. But God says it'll ruin your distinction. It'll take your eyes off of eternity. And the chances of you doing that in excess are extremely high. Our world has shown that. By the way, all of these statistics are from a government agency that didn't want them to be true. Government agency studying and saying we have an epidemic in the United States and people won't listen because it's one of those areas we can't talk about. We pulled the wool over our own eyes. All right, let's just back off of that and go to something easy. Okay, are we doing all right? Man, done with conviction. Let's talk about the fact that everybody we run into in our world is anxious. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's easier. We have a family worship picture here, I believe. Let's see if we can find it there. There they are, family worship. Those are iPhones, by the way. What is happening in our society uh, is very significant. National anxiety right now over the last several decades, both through good economic times and bad. This one article says, the United States has transformed into the planet's undisputed worry champion. Around the turn of the millennium, anxiety flew past depression as the most prominent mental health issue in America, and it has never looked back. With more than 18% of adults suffering from anxiety disorder in any year, the United States is the most anxious nation in the world, according to the National Institute of Mental Health. Stress-related ailments cost the nation $300 billion every year in medical bills and lost productivity, while our usage of sedative drugs keeps skyrocketing. Just between 1997 and 2004, Americans more than doubled their spending on anti-anxiety medications like Xanax and Valium. From $900 million to $2.1 billion in our anxious nation. As this strain hits us well before we reach college, psychologist Robert Lehay points out, the average high school kid today has the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the early 1950s. Anxiety is a problem, isn't it? Now, it's a valid concern, but Scripture indicates there are ways that you can take care of that before the Lord. We're actually going to be doing in our next series a night where we talk about being an anxious family, anxious people in an anxious world. We'll have a Q&A on that um, very soon. There's also this. Around 2012, something started going wrong in the lives of teens. In just five years between 2010 and 2015, the number of U.S. teens who felt useless and joyless, classic symptoms of depression, surged 33% in a national survey. 
Teen suicide attempts increased 23%. Even more troubling, the number of 13 to 18-year-olds who committed suicide jumped 31%. What is the major factor? They did studies trying to find every possible avenue, what could link to it. There is only one factor that came up in all of the studies that led to this rise in depression and suicide in teens. You want to know what it is? After scouring several large surveys of teens for clues, this author found that out of all of the possibilities, they trace back to a major change in the teens' lives, the sudden ascendance of the smartphone. Smartphone and screen time, smartphone technology has led to an acute rise in depression, and there is no other explanation other than that. It's attacking us. Also going to have another night where we do a Q&A on technology in the family, okay? So we will tackle this in the near future. In the next few weeks, as part of this next series, we're going to be looking at uh, technology and your teen. But that's a shocking statistic. Final thought for you. Suicide rates across the United States. This is just the happy hour, okay? (laughs) These are heavy things, but if you are not thinking rightly, it will overwhelm you and it will ruin you rather than lead you to faith. 25% rise in suicides in the United States. The most harrowing statistic about this is is that the majority of those had no sign of mental illness before they did that. We are living in an increasingly wealthy and pampered generation as well as an unhappy and fruitless generation. They are overwhelmed by their own lives and in their loneliness, they're checking out. This is not God's plan. Amen? He calls the church to go against that age and to be so focused on Christ that they take others with them. And there is fellowship, camaraderie, and help in that. Christians are not to lead hopeless lives. But if we focus on the garbage of this world, we will be just like them. Anxious, overwhelmed, depressed, suicidal, because we've forgotten our first love. True? we got to focus on Christ or else we will live lives that are no better. That's his point. Individual responsibility. I cannot live your life for you. It's on you to focus on Christ. Fig tree, recognition, unchanging truth, individual responsibility, and finally training. Our time is up. Let me just say this. Christ wraps up at the very end with these statements. But keep on the alert. Some scriptures say, be sober at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all the things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. In every single passage, and I would encourage you to look up 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 Peter chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, each time this Olivet theme comes up where he talks about the end times, and every single time his emphasis is the same, just like this little tree we see at the end. It rises up every single time you have this discussion. You be alert. You focus on the soon return of Christ. Be in prayer and be ready to serve. Amen? We're to look around and be a praying people and be engaged in our culture today. Drowsiness is a uh, symptom we've just gotten used to. He says that one of the things that will cause you not to be alert or the opposite of being alert and sober is being sleepy and unaware. 
If you look at the Exxon uh, Valdez crash at Chernobyl, if you look at some of the major things that have happened, the explosion of uh, the Challenger as it's coming back in, they all attributed a significant factor in that was drowsiness in preparation. People were drowsy on the day that the major accidents happened. We live lives where we think we're just used to being sleepy. It is not okay to be sleepy in your faith. I asked uh, my brother-in-law one time, we both had jobs when we were early in our marriage uh, that were late at night. And man, I can remember sometimes, have you ever been driving your car? It's late at night, you're young, you're thinking, I'm just going to power through this tiredness and I'll show up at the house. And then you wake up basically in the parking lot or at, because uh, we were in an apartment at the time, or you wake up at your house and you're like, how did I get here, right? You're so tired. So I asked him, man, how do you stay awake? He says, oh, it's easy. He says, I take a $100 bill and I hold it between my thumb and my forefinger and I stick it out the window. <laughs> he says, I stay so awake. I do not want to lose that, Right? Can I tell you what's going to keep us awake? If we have our hands wrapped around that which is truly important to us, and it's not this world. If our hands, if our eyes, if our focus is completely enthralled on Christ, you will not fall asleep in this generation. You'll see all of the mess, and you'll be able to minister. You'll be able to make a difference, but you will not fall asleep. Amen? Amen. Let's keep our eyes on Christ. Let's have hope. Live out faithful lives, but be sober, be aware, be ready. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for the opportunity that we've had to be able to uh, talk about these themes in these weeks. And we do pray, Father, that you would help us to live aware lives, uh, that you would help us to be so focused on you and your soon return that we make a difference today, that we are living lives of consequence Father, help us not just to sleepily go about our lives and end with a shock, but Father, help us to go through our lives in great anticipation of the day we'll see you face to face, to live lives of hope and dramatic difference because of our focus on Christ. Enable us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.